Dallas Lynn, so appreciate that. We are in the second of a series of the seven last words of Jesus on the cross. And if you will turn with me to the 23rd chapter of Luke, I will begin reading at verse 35. The Bible says, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, but for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, what a blessing. We see the description. You see, the Bible tells us from verse 35 and following that Jesus was crucified. Matthew uses the expression robbers in a way that the Greek on that says that these robbers were not those people who possibly broke into your house under the cover or darkness of night. And they were the kind of robbers who openly used violence to rob you openly. These were people that would confront you and beat you until they took what you had. These were violent robbers, in other words. And so these two men were given the, the, the punishment that at that particular time fit the crime. And here was Jesus crucified right in the middle of them. You see, Isaiah 53, 12 prophesied in that suffering servant prophecy that He would be numbered with the transgressors. What I find kind of interesting is that Jesus was crucified between these two criminals. And what I find fascinating is that both criminals had equal access to Jesus. Now, when you think about it in your own life and in those around you, people for whom you're praying or even yourself, at one time. There's different responses to Jesus. Though all people have equal access to God the Father through Jesus Christ, not everyone's willing to to receive that equal access. You look, the Bible says that uh, there were all kinds of different responses there. We see as we, in verse 35, the, the people stood watching. Uh, it kind of indicates that they were a dazed multitude. 
stood there, not really fully comprehending what had transpired here. There were those who were uh, followers, those who were supporters, perhaps, those who uh, had listened to Jesus in times past. And they, some of them saw him as the Messiah. They couldn't understand. They felt that the earthly throne should be reestablished, the throne of David. But here is the person that they thought would be the king, and yet he was being executed. So his kingdom was evaporating before their eyes, or at least they thought. And then there were others that were just kind of the bystanders that, that had heard all about Jesus, and, and they wanted to see what the uh, excitement was about, only to find out that he was no better in their minds than the two being crucified with him. And so there were all kinds of different emotions in the crowd. And then you had, the Bible says, the rulers, the religious rulers. These were the Pharisees, members of the Sanhedrin, scribes, etc. These were those that had been dogging Jesus. From the time that he publicly uh, began his ministry until this particular earthly climax. They were the ones that were sneering at him, the word says. Sneered. And that was a word that uh, Psalms 22.7 prophesied, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Sneered means that it was a continual type of, of disdain, of disrespect. Uh, you know, they were hurling insults at him. You are, if you really believe that you are the king of Israel, save yourself. You saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And then there were the soldiers who also came up and mocked him. They joined in with this uh, cacophony of, of, of sneering and mockery and, and all of the things that were going on. And they united and began to to mock Jesus as well. And they began to reflect that if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. Well, there's all of this mockery and sneering going on. Then we see the one criminal. He joins the fray. Why not? So he says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. You see, this unrepentant criminal understood that he was being executed for crimes committed. But I guess this might have been a last-ditch effort for him. Well, obviously I can't get off on my own regard. I can't get out of here through any type of shenanigans that I could pull. Maybe Jesus, maybe he's my last opportunity. And yet, as he's looking at Jesus, Jesus is equally suffering along with the criminals, and he is in the process of dying as well. The, the soldiers that railed at Jesus, he railed at Jesus. King James Version calls it railing, and the word literally means cursed and blasphemed without stopping. He was bitter and defiant to the very end. I've had people tell me, they didn't believe that there were any atheists in foxholes or, or people who were <clears throat> uh, literally 
going into eternity without receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior, I, I have to disagree with that. I have been at the bedside of an individual who cursed God and died. That's not a pretty thing. And I know that there are people who have been taken uh, instantaneously out of this earth who have never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And in their lives, they live it as though they are defiant with God. They take their lives in their own hands and live it in such an age or an attitude of defiance that you would think, surely, somewhere down the line, you're going to see him in a different perspective. But it doesn't work. And then there's the repentant criminal. You see, the other criminal rebuked this unrepentant criminal. Don't you fear God? He may have had prior knowledge of Jesus. We don't know anything about these criminals. We don't, you're going to meet one of them one day. But we don't know anything about these, this repentant criminal. We assume that he was Jewish because he referred to the Messianic age. We you have to kind of assume that he at least had heard about Jesus. Maybe somewhere he was working the crowd. Maybe he was working a pickpocket or something of this nature as the crowd gathered around. Oh, these are soft targets, he was thinking. And then as he's watching the object of their attention, Jesus Christ, maybe this unrepentant, or maybe this repentant penitent criminal had heard something about the kingdom of God had heard Jesus speak words such as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes or some of these things that he spoke along the way. Maybe he had witnessed a miracle or two. And surely this man in his heart is not a common man. He must be who he says he is. So this man may have had this prior knowledge of Jesus. And he was Jewish, we understand, he says, when you come into your kingdom. So he understood the Messianic age. He knew the Messiah. But when he looked at the unrepentant criminal, don't you even fear God? Obviously, he knew that Jesus was God incarnate or at least God's Christ, Messiah, that he had sent into this world. He knew that he had a direct connection with God. This man has done nothing, he said. You and I are getting what we deserve. We knew this time would come. If they caught us, we knew it was over. But here's an innocent man. Maybe he had been watching Jesus not only in his life, but in his death as well. Maybe he had seen him. Maybe he had walked behind him as Jesus was carrying his cross. Maybe he had watched the, the grace and the mercy that he extended to other people along the way. And you know he heard the words, the first words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Well, what I have learned in my life with me, against the purity and the innocence of Jesus, when we come to that realization, we see ourselves for who we really are. You know? There are times that we have to come to that place like Isaiah, that when we're completely overwhelmed by the by the presence of God, that we cry out, Oh God, who am I? I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me. 
I'm in trouble because sinful man has come into the presence of a pure, holy God. And here he is expressing that same thing. We don't deserve to even be in his presence. We deserve what we're getting, but we obviously don't deserve to be in the presence of God. There, where there's a sense of God, there's always a sense of sin. He says, we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong, nothing absolute. His prayer was personal and by faith. He said, Lord, God, Jesus, when you remember me, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Obviously, he knew that Jesus' kingdom was not earthly. He understood that. He understood that Jesus was in the process of dying. He understood that that kingdom that Jesus had was not of this world, not of this age. He understood that. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The disciples didn't fully understand that. They weren't even at the cross except for John. They had all fled. And yet, here was a thief that had a deeper understanding about Jesus and his ministry and mission than the disciples that followed him for three plus years. Wow. That's faith, folks. That is faith. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus didn't have to respond at all, but he did. And aren't we glad? He said, I tell you the truth. This is, you can go to the bank with this one. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, the penitent criminal, the man who repented, would be in heaven with Jesus before the end of the day. The suffering is horrible. Crucifixion is a nasty thing. And yet, Jesus said, it's going to get better. Wait until you see. This day, we do not, he said, today, and I've heard people try to rearrange the Greek on this, and you can't do that, folks. It means today. When Jesus says today, you know what he means? He means this day, today is the day that you're going to enter into eternity with me. I'll be with you. You won't have to worry about it. Paradise. You see, we don't even have to wait for some age, some event, some occurrence to be ushered into heaven when that last breath leaves our body. That instantaneous experience moves our soul from planet earth to eternity and we're clothed with a body like Jesus. You know that? Today, boy, I tell you what, I've done a lot of funerals and memorial services over the years. We just had one yesterday to honor Gene Dickey. And what a, what a joy it is to be able to perform a, a memorial service or a funeral knowing that that person has trusted Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. Amen. Why? What is, what's awaiting us? This life after death is such an experience. What awaits us? Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. In paradise. You see, that's a Persian word for a walled garden. It used to be 
back in those days when the Persian kings had somebody that was a highly honored, loved, and respected friend of theirs. They, when they visited this king, the king would invite them to stroll with him in his own private garden. Let's go back a few centuries to Adam and Eve where God had his walled garden there. It's called the Garden of Eden. And there as he's walking with Adam and Eve, the Bible says, in the cool of the afternoon. What a sight. They had everything possible for them. And God said, just tend the garden. People say, you're going to rest for eternity. That wouldn't be heaven to me, to rest for eternity. I cannot imagine just sitting around and resting all the time. You know? He gave Adam and Eve the opportunity to tend his garden. We're going to be busy at at whatever task he assigns us. But it's going to be a wonderful experience. And you wonder, well, paradise, what's it like? And this penitent thief, this, this man who recognized Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, the chosen one of God, what was it like when he stepped over into eternity? Jesus took him by the hand. Strolled him right through that walled garden. It's called paradise. There's one other time that we see the word paradise in the scripture, and it's Revelation 2.7. And Jesus says, the Bible says to him who overcome, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow, paradise. We don't have to wait any time. You see, There was a time when Peter was questioning Jesus. This was the night of the, the Last Supper, Passover feast that we call the Last Supper. And Jesus was trying to help them to understand, as he had for three plus years, exactly what was going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified there. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again in three days. Peter was pressing him, Lord, We want to go with you. Jesus says, you can't come with me now, but you will later on. And then he saw the concern in the faces of the disciples there at the supper. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. It's a big house. We're going to have our own place. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas, I mentioned this morning, why was I named after Thomas? You know? (laughs) Call him Doubting Thomas now. Well, I know I was named after Thomas because my grandfather's name was Thomas. Of course, his middle name was Jefferson, and I'm glad that didn't stick. (laughs) But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Well, that's, even men understand if you don't know where you're going, you can't know the way. We get lost along the way when we know where we're going, you know? But Thomas said, we, you know, we, we don't know where you're going. 
They didn't have a clue. The thief on the cross knew exactly where he was going. He was entering into his kingdom that was prepared by the Father. Now, here's the thing. And hear this carefully. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus looked at Thomas and said, very simply, I'm going to paraphrase. I'll break it down for you, Thomas. Make it real clear. Make it real simple. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Eternal as well as abundant. No one, hear that, emphatic statement, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Well, all roads lead to God. No, they don't. There's one road that leads to God, and it's narrow, and few there be that walk that route. And that's through Jesus Christ, period. You can't find the Father. You can't have a relationship with the Father if you don't have a relationship with His Son. If you have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with the Father. And guess what? He's already preceded us to prepare a place for us. And I promise you, if Jesus prepares it, it's going to be perfect. And it's a time where He was telling this penitent thief, I've got something so great for you. You know how the scripture puts it? That the eyes have not seen, the ears haven't even heard. It's never even entered into the hearts of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. You cannot comprehend this, folks. But you just need to know this walled garden is going to be the the garden of Eden revisited. It is going to be that that beautiful garden that the Father and His only begotten Son, Jesus, is willing to invite us to join Him in a stroll in the cool of the afternoon. Now, this probably rankled the unrepentant thief because he still didn't get it. He's still railing at Jesus and fussing at him for not taking himself off the cross, for not getting himself out of this predicament. Somebody's got to do it. He obviously can't. Maybe Jesus could do it, but he didn't. Well, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Jesus shall never die. That second, that split second that you breathe your last breath on earth, you're in the presence of God. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, it's that easy. It's, it's that detailed. Psalms 23, I love it. Says David said in his beautiful shepherd psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley, through the the valley of the shadow of death. Shadows are meaningless. We don't experience death. We may see its shadow, but we don't experience death. And then Job, Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives, (laughs) and at the last I will stand with him, the land of the living. Wow. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? 
We all come to the end of our lives sooner or later if the Lord lingers, if he doesn't return. We all come to the end of our lives. And death is a part of the, the life cycle here on planet Earth. But the thing of it is, is God has sent his only begotten son into this world that through him and him alone, we have a bridge, an avenue, a thoroughfare to the Father, but only through him. We have access to God the Father through his only begotten son, Jesus. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? I beg you to open your hearts and minds to Jesus. Secondly, Maybe you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never professed him publicly. You've never come forward and, and admitted that or confessed that. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. Sometimes just the act of, of not acting on a decision is denying Jesus. Not publicly professing him sometimes is a way of denying him. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This invitation is for you. The invitation is for those of you that have trusted Christ but have never publicly professed him or perhaps followed him in baptism. Or maybe you're here and you're looking for a good church home. You want to anchor your life and, 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 and serve the Lord somewhere. I don't know of any greater place than right here to serve the Lord. This church family looks forward to receiving you, and we look forward to working shoulder to shoulder with you in whatever the Lord calls you to do. The invitation is for all of us and for each and every one of us. It is a time of rededication to the Lord. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, for the blessing that is ours in Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the decisions that are being made. Thank you for those who will unite with this church family. Thank you for those who will unite with you, Lord, by faith. Thank you. We praise you for each and every decision. Be with us. May we leave this building more committed to you than we came. Father, thank you for what you're accomplishing here. We praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.